wants to give you supernatural strength by His Spirit, Ephesians 3, so that you can comprehend just how seriously glorious His love for you is. That it is so unending, it is so intense, you need supernatural help to be able to walk in this continuous, increasing measure of glory until you come to the place where you are filled continuously with all the fullness of God. We have been looking at the key of David. You might say, what is this key of David? that they're talking about. But the key of David is referred to in Isaiah 22, 22, that the key of David is something that opens doors no man can shut, closes doors no man can open. And, and this really fascinating concept of this key of David, what is it that David had? Well, as you study the life of David, you recognize that it wasn't about how well he lived or anything other than the fact that David had a connection with God. David had a relationship that had obviously been cultivated since he was young. We read about how when he went out to face Goliath, he referenced the lion and the bear that came against the sheep while he was out there in the sheepfolds. And God helped me then and God will help me now. And he learned to commune with God, to have fellowship with God. He obviously had a real connection. We know that because if you compare the life of David and the life of Saul, you never read the Psalms of Saul. Saul would talk to, he knew about God, he believed in God, he knew the need that Israel and he had for God's help. But you see him talking to the Lord always through someone, through a prophet, and if he couldn't get a prophet, then through a medium. You know, he was looking, uh, knowing I need God, but he didn't have himself a personal relationship, a personal connection. And this is what the key of David is. It's this personal, dynamic, honest relationship. I was reading about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector today. And the difference between this Pharisee that would get up and proclaim about how good he was and all the things that he did, and the, and the tax collector who just stood at a distance and beat his breast saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus looked and said, that's the one that's going away justified today. What it was, it was humility. It was a humility that was approaching God, recognizing I have genuine need of you. Humility asks for help, and the humble get help. Hallelujah. And David had this contrite heart. He knew when he'd messed up, I need help. I need God. I've sinned against you. Have mercy on me. He was tender-hearted. He was a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving, and he knew where his strength came from. We read in Psalm 27, which we've been looking at for the last little while, it's so beautiful. I'll just read it from the beginning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I dread? 
When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I will be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Down in verse 8, he goes on to say, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. He goes on and says, When mother and father forsake me, you will take care of me. And then the psalm finishes off, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David knew something that we all come to a place of needing to recognize. My dad has a favorite poem um, that he loves his poetry, and it was, it's called The Hound of Heaven. And it's this poem, old poem that talks about how I fled him down the, the nights and the days, I fled him through the years. And he ever kept after me, these feet, those feet keep coming after me. Until finally, he gets to the point where he realizes the Lord reveals to him and he understands. Oh, fondest, blindest, weakest, it's me whom thou seekest. And he realizes, oh, all the things I've been looking for, all the ways I've been trying to search for satisfaction and happiness, this is the one thing that I have needed all along. David understood this. One thing I have desired, this shall I seek. We sing songs and about, you're all I want. Or you can have the whole world, just give me Jesus. And it can sound so holy, it can sound so righteous. And if we're not careful, we can put it in the category of, that's where I should be. I should have that motivation. And so it's some sort of religious thing that one day I'll get there that I'll really have that motivation. That, yeah, you can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. That, that one day I'll get to that place where really nothing else matters. But you know, God's not looking for you to achieve a place of supernatural, uh, spiritual holiness or righteousness where you're able to say that, yes, nothing has any hold on me because I only need Jesus. It's not that that is this one thing that, that David was talking about. David, when he said one thing, I have needed one thing I seek. He said it out of a revelation that he knew that was what his spirit craved above everything else. That he could have the whole world and it still wouldn't satisfy. He understood that I know, I know that no matter what, it doesn't matter. And he was writing this in the midst of just having been terribly betrayed, having the same armies that he had led in battle to defeat the enemy, the same army that had seen him defeat Goliath, were now believing a lie that he was a traitor, he'd been lied about, he'd been slandered, and now he was being hunted, all the while having a promise to be their king. 
And yet he would say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. One thing I have desired, this will I seek. His number one priority was, I just need to see your face. I just want to gaze on your beauty. And it wasn't because he was super holy. It was because he found and knew the only thing that was the true strength of his life. Wait upon the Lord. I say, yes, wait upon the Lord. Let your heart take courage. He knew that in that place of looking on his face, he could take courage. He could give his weakness and receive strength. He could give his fears and receive love. He knew this one thing, this is what I live for. This is what I'm made for. Hallelujah. You and I were created for fellowship. I was thinking about prayer the other night and um, reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a great passage. Some of you may remember a memory verse I taught you the other night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Who knows it? Rejoice always. It's really, if you want to start learning memory verses, that's a great verse. Rejoice always. That's it. Verse 16, bang, got it. Actually, if you want to learn another one, there's one straight after that that's similarly short. Verse 17, what does it say? Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Wow. God's purpose is that you would live in a place where you are continually thinking about his goodness, that you are continually in fellowship with God, that you are living intentionally, taking all that is within you and putting your focus on the one who is good, whose loving kindness never fails, putting your focus on what you can be grateful for. This is the will of God for you because because that is what God's desire is, that you would walk in unbroken fellowship with him. Sometimes we, when we think about prayer, we think that, you know, oh, I wish I could pray like the really good prayer warriors. I, I've, I've tried praying literally for hours on end, but sometimes if I actually just go and pray for hours on end, I end up getting a sore throat and losing my voice. Thinking that prayer, you know, a really good prayer is long prayer. But, you know, while long prayer is good, you can also run out of things to say if you're just like talking all the time. And then he says, pray without ceasing. Like, I can't even preach if I pray for a really long time because I've got no voice left. So what is it? God's not looking for your sacrifice. He's not looking for your performance. The, the Pharisee wasn't justified by his long and eloquent prayers. God is looking for heart connection. He is looking for humility and honesty that engages in continual conversation all day, all night, all the time, talking with him, walking with him. That should give some of you great joy and great peace if you've had in your mind that you're not as great a Christian as someone that spends six hours in prayer. Because God would prefer that you walked and talked with him 
all the time continually than you having six hours of prayer one moment and nothing for several days. God is looking for your fellowship. You were created in the image of God and designed to walk and talk with Him and to have Him as your very best friend. We're going to look today at Exodus chapter 33. When I think about the key of David, I think, well, David, he, he found God as a youth. And as a result, he could never be satisfied with a formal, technical relationship. His heart was continually moved to want to know him more. One thing I've desired, this shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You are my light and my salvation. He found what was needful. He found that which satisfied his soul. And as a result, he continually was provoked to seek him more. The same happened with Moses. Moses found the Lord. He had an encounter in the wilderness. There was a burning bush. Did anyone know the story? It's a burning bush. I'm so grateful that he didn't just see the burning bush and run home and tell his wife, amazing, I saw a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed. Sometimes we can, see, um, we can see a miracle or we can have a prophetic word or we can hear a great message and go, wow, that was God. Did you hear how they prophesied that and then that happened and wow, oh, did you see, that was God, that was amazing. It's so good to recognize when something is God. But Moses, when he recognized that this was something supernatural, the Bible says he turned aside. And then the voice spoke to him out of the bush. And he found the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He found the living God. And the Lord gave him a commission, his purpose. And as a result, Moses was never the same. We're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 33. This comes right after Moses has been up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments, come down, and found the people have made a golden calf, and has had to, he's thrown the stones down, everything's dissolved, and, 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 and everything's terrible. And so Moses goes and intercedes on behalf of the people, please, Lord, forgive them. And the Lord speaks, and he says here in verse 3, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, for you're an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. He says, hey, all right, you can have everything I promised, because I, I have promised it. Off you go. But hey, nah, I'm not going with you. Moses, go, Moses comes before the Lord. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. 
When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Moreover, you've said, I've known you by name, and, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I've found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Remember, this is a man that it says here, spoke with God on a regular basis as a man speaks with his friend face to face. He had this beautiful, intimate relationship. He'd been up on the mountain with the 70 elders with the, with the Lord, with the sea of glass, and they ate and drank on the sea of glass with the Lord. Yes. It's in the book. Like, significant encounters. These same ones who had that encounter then went and worshipped a golden calf when things got tough. But Moses, he had had an encounter with the Lord that he allowed to so deeply impact his heart that he cultivated it. And as a result, his hunger to be with God, to communicate with God grew and grew to the point that he had a tent set up outside the camp where he would go and meet with the Lord. I need to talk to you. And this one, he says to the Lord, I need to know you. It already says that he spoke with him as a man speaks with his friend face to face. And yet, the more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I want to know you. That the more you have to him who has, more will be given. As you press in, to the invitation to seek his face, the hunger and the desire to know him and seek his face grows and grows. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 for believers who'd had a revelation, who'd had an encounter with God, who were born again. He prayed that the Father would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their understanding would be continually enlightened to know him more, to know the hope of his calling, to understand the value they had as his inheritance in the earth, to understand the greatness of the power toward them who believed. There was this understanding Understanding that there is always more. And this is what happens when you give yourself to seeking the Lord. Matthew 7 tells us, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The whole meaning of life the whole purpose of why you are on this planet is that you would have real dynamic relationship with the living God. That you would walk and talk continuously with the one who created you, with the one who knows you better than anybody else, with the one who will never leave you or forsake you, with the one who never needs time out, never needs to be by himself, but the one who loves you more than you can physically, emotionally, or spiritually handle. 
He wants to give you supernatural strength by His Spirit, Ephesians 3, so that you can comprehend just how seriously glorious His love for you is. That it is so unending, it is so intense, you need supernatural help to be able to walk in this continuous, increasing measure of glory until you come to the place where you are filled continuously with all the fullness of God. That you walk around as the light of the world, shining with a face brighter than Moses had when he came down out of the mountain. Because we with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror his glory. We are invited into fellowship where we can pray continually by simply cultivating an awareness that he is with me all the time. That's why Paul prays that you may know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit, because it's the meaning of life. It's what we were created for. This is the will of God for you in Christ, that you would live continually in His presence. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. So rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray, talk to Him, pour out your heart to Him, worship Him, fellowship with Him without ceasing. And then in everything, give thanks. God doesn't want you to live full of worry. He doesn't want you living in and out of a place of encounter. He wants to lead you in more and more and deeper and deeper and richer and richer revelation of His great love, of His glory than you have ever understood. Hallelujah. Moses got this in Exodus 33 that as he would talk to him, he's speaking to the Lord and he says, let me know your ways that I may know you, that I may find favor in your sight. He already had it, but he wanted more. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Ah, oh, hooray, praise the Lord, that's excellent, yay. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. In other words, if you don't go with us, I don't have your presence. I don't care about all the promises. It will not satisfy. I'm not going unless I have your presence because I have found the one thing and nothing else is going to satisfy me. If you think you'll be happy when when I get a wife, when I get a husband, when this happens, when I have the fulfillment, when I'm in my right for calling, when I'm seeing the miracles, when I'm seeing this happen, then I'll be happy. You are in for disappointment. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that you can have all knowledge. You can speak in other tongues. You can, you can have, all, let's read it. You can have all these glorious things, but if you haven't got love, you've got nothing. First Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I've met some of those. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if they can read your mail, but they don't have love, it's nothing. It's worthless. And know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. What it's saying there, sometimes we read that as if I'm not giving love, if I'm not, if you don't have his love, nothing, no gift, no fulfillment, no promise is going to do it for you. Only knowing and experiencing his love on a continuous, ever-increasing basis is going to satisfy your heart. If your presence doesn't go with me, it doesn't matter about the land flowing with milk and honey. It doesn't matter about all the victories. I need you more than I need anything else. And this is the one thing David understood. Let's just keep reading here in Exodus 33. He says, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. For how then can it be known if I've found favor in your sight and your people, if not by your going with us, so that we and I, your people, may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth? It's not by their gifts that you'll know them, it's by... Their fruit, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit who's dwelling on the inside of you. The presence of God, hallelujah, is what will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth, from all the other meetings. You can go to a great charity meeting. You could go to a wonderful club. But if you don't have and experience the presence of God, it is not going to distinguish you from all the other people on the earth. It's the presence of God that the world is craving, even if they don't know it. Oh, fondest, blindest, weakest, it is me that thou seekest. God is trying to get our attention to recognize I am the one that your heart's longing for. But then he says here, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you've spoken, for you've found favor in my sight and I've known you by name. You'd think Moses would be like, oh, that's good. Hooray. But immediately he goes on and says, Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. The more I seek you, the more my heart burns. I need to see you. Do you know where you'd go when you die? God wants you to have an assurance of salvation. Jesus came desiring that no one should perish, but that everyone would have eternal life. But the Bible tells us too that the road is narrow and few are those who find it. That narrow road is simply you and I making a decision. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died and rose again. And as you come to him in humility and say, Lord, I need a savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me for my sins. The Bible says by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can have faith in the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus by simply 
praying and asking the Father, have mercy on me. I believe Jesus died and rose again. Come into my life. Make me new on the inside. Be my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name. We so appreciate your monthly partnership, which helps us develop content and get the airtime to see people find Jesus and get to know the good news of the gospel. We meet with our monthly partners in a mentoring session every month on Zoom. We have live discussions, question and answer times. We pray together and prophesy, talk about the latest thing the Lord's doing. I'd love for you to be a part of it. Join us today as a monthly partner. You can do that by going to the website. God bless you.